Good morning. It's good to be here with you today. Um, so I have a few slides. I know that's very cliche, missionaries showing slides, but hopefully they're of Australia, so they can't be that bad, right? They'll be, they'll be pretty, if nothing else. So um, if we want to switch over to those. Yep, there we go. So this first picture is a very realistic uh, depiction of my life in Australia. It's just, you know, hopping around the bush on my kangaroo, um, dressed like Steve Irwin. So actually not really. Um, I have pet, uh, I've met a few kangaroos, got the chance to pet them. They're very cute. And if you come visit us in Australia, we'd be very happy to go take you to, to see one and to feed one. They're pretty cute. But they do probably frown upon you riding them. So... Um, all right, so what do you think of when you hear Australia? I'm going to shout out some answers. Hmm? Okay, Outback Steakhouse, which is not in Australia, sadly enough. Um, what was the other one? Everything can kill you. See, Aaron, if I had a dollar for every time someone told me, you know, the, most, the things that can kill you in the world, I'll live in Australia... I could buy a private jet and fly us all to Australia. So that's actually true, but no one has died recently. They also have anti-venom, so thanks for bringing that up. So thanks for leading into that for me. Um, you might also think of um, the beach. If you want to look at the next slide, here's a few pictures. Cute kangaroos, the beach, the Sydney Opera House. Um, the Outback, not the steakhouse, but the actual Outback. Um, all of those things are true. Australia is a really uh, beautiful country. Um, I've had the privilege of living in two uh, beautiful countries, Taiwan. Some of you have been there um, on missions trips for the church to visit Ted and Bev. I was there for 13 years. And then in 2014, um, God gave me the opportunity to move to Australia to work with a new church. But before we get there, I want to talk to you about some, some fun facts about Australia. Australia is very isolated from the rest of the world, and because of that, it has a really unique ecosystem, a really unique culture. Um, here are some fun facts. Um, Australians live by the motto, she'll be right. That's kind of their optimistic view of the world. At the moment, they are having catastrophic bushfires. <laughs> and just yesterday, somebody posted, you know, it's all going to probably burn, but then it'll come back. She'll be right. <laughs> it's like, well, I guess that's a positive outlook. Like, at least you're not, you know, wallowing in depression, I guess. But um, this is one of my favorite facts. There are 25 million people in Australia. There are 45 million kangaroos. So there are twice as many kangaroos as people in Australia. Um, recently, um, MasterChef in Australia, I'm sorry if you like American MasterChef, Australia is much better, um, but they actually rescheduled a political debate because it was going to conflict with the um, finale of MasterChef. That's how much Australians care about politics. <laughs> Probably their only negative viewpoint in life is towards the politicians. They're like, why should we even bother? They're just going to do what they want anyway. So I don't know. We might need some of that attitude here, but... Um, this is another one of my favorite facts. The earliest police force, if you know anything about Australian history, you know that um, obviously the Aboriginal people were there long before the Europeans came over. But technically, England um, discovered Australia in the late 1700s. And around that time, we were kicking England out of our government and out of our continent. Um, and so they needed somewhere to send their prisoners. And since Australia was 
largely um, unpopulated, except for, of course for the Aboriginal people, they um, sent their convicts to Australia. Some of them, the worst offenders, and people who didn't have anyone to claim them, they were in prison. But if you had a family that could go with you, it was actually a new start in life. And so if you were well-behaved, if you did what you were supposed to do, and you showed that you were reformed, you actually had a chance um, to do jobs like being on the police force. <laughs> so that's kind of Australia. They believe in second chances. They believe that um, in the end, it's all gonna turn out right. It's a very sunny, optimistic kind of country. Uh, let's look at this next slide. Now this is where I live, um, and I realize no one is ever gonna feel sad for me after, for being so far away from home after they see this picture, but uh, we live in Newcastle, um, which is about two hours north of Sydney. Um, it has about just under 600,000 people. But it's kind of a strange big city where if you are born in Newcastle, you grow up there, you go to university there, and you work there. You don't very often leave Newcastle and go to other parts of Australia. So it feels like a small town. Um, and so it's possible your hairdresser might know your plumber, and your plumber knows your sec you know this guy's second cousin, and they all are connected somehow. So it's kind of a strange, a strange vibe there. But obviously we love it there, it's beautiful. We don't live close to the ocean, we live about 30 minutes away in um, the western suburb of Cameron Park, which is where our church is planted. Now, one fact that we don't find so fun about Australia is that from 20, 2006 to 2016, people who consider themselves to be Christians decreased by over 10%. That's a very rapid rate of decreasing. We believe that part of that is because the older generation who would consider themselves culturally Christian and would go to church occasionally have passed away. They're starting to pass away. But they have not taken their children, they have not taken their grandchildren to church. And so their attitude now is, why should I call myself a Christian if I never go to church? Which in, in some ways is actually a good, a good way to think about that. Um, but most Australians now would consider themselves non-religious. Taiwan um, is a very religious country, if you've ever been there. There's temples and there's um, idols on every street corner. People are always seeking out, how can I um, have good luck? How can I have good things happen to me? And they believe the answers are found in the spiritual realm. Australia is the opposite of that. They want to have a good life, just like everyone else does, but they do not believe the answers are found in anything spiritual. And so that is our challenge as missionaries. Um, how do we, and as Christians, how do we get into the lives of people who have no interest in God? That's our purpose for being there, is to, to show them who God is. But how do we do that if they have no interest? So, if you want to look at the next slide. Our church plant is North Lakes Christian Church. Um, we meet in a community center. We don't have a designated church building. Uh, we started out in a, the gym of a local elementary school, and now we meet in the community center. Um, part of that is because property is really expensive in Australia. Another reason is because church buildings tend to be inaccessible to normal Australians. They are more likely to come uh, to youth group or come to events if you meet at somewhere like a school or a community center. And so that's what we'll, we'll probably keep doing going forward. And our motto is loving God and loving people. We want to keep it simple. Um, we don't want to do anything that they can't do themselves. And we know that God gives us all the ability to love him and to love other people. So this is what we want to do. Um, Michael talked earlier about community. Australia is very strong in community. They, they believe um, 
if you are their mate, if you're their friend, they will do anything for you. And so we want to take that Australian sense of um, community and bring it into the church and say, what better community could you have than an eternal community, a community that is built on the truth of God and on his love for us and for for each other? Um, And so we don't want to just plant one church. We want to plant a network of churches between Newcastle and Sydney. Now, Sydney is about 100 miles away from us. So if you imagine from Eldon to Springfield, that's about 100 miles, give or take. So imagine a network of house churches or simple churches or churches that meet in community centers, schools, things like that, between um, Newcastle all the way down to Sydney. So that is our dream. That is our vision um, for churches in the area that we live in. And we just want to teach people God's word. Um, We don't want to make them um, not be Australian. We want to show them what God's word looks like in the Australian culture. What does it look like when an Australian person learns to love God? They already are pretty good at loving each other. Let's just add in that love for God in there. Um, these are some of our, our folks from North Lake. So we run about um, 40 to 50, if everybody comes, <laughs> um, depending on the Sunday. In the summer in Australia, um, which is in December, January, December, um, we actually, everybody goes on vacation. Everybody goes on holiday. So we actually only have maybe 10 or 15 people that come each week. So we go out onto the parks and we sometimes meet at the beach. Um, and we have church outside, which is pretty fun. Um, let's look at that next picture. So one of the, the first things that we started, even before the church, was Quest Youth Group. Um, our youth group started because we had a lot of young people who didn't have anything to do. And if you don't have anything to do in Australia on Friday night, a lot like central Missouri, you might end up getting in trouble. And so we wanted to provide those kids a place where they could come and they could feel loved, they could have some fun, and they could see that being part of God's community doesn't mean you have to sacrifice all of those, those fun things that people get to do. So we actually have, our youth group is almost as big as our church now. Um, we have about 30 kids that come on Friday nights. Most of those kids, they, their families don't go to church. They don't always come to church on Sundays, although some of them are starting to. So that's really exciting for us to see that youth group growing. The people in Australia who are about maybe my age, um, my generation, they don't really have a spiritual hunger that they're acknowledging it, but the young people who have not had any church, any um, religious education, they are so hungry for that. They are so hungry for that community. They're so hungry to hear the truth of God's word and just to be loved like God would love them. Um, one opportunity that I have been able to, to be a big part of is um, religious education in schools. And this goes back to the history of Australia. All the churches, the Anglican church started the schools. And so when the government took over the schools, the church was able to stay in the schools and continue teaching um, religion. So any religion can go in and teach if you have volunteers. We obviously teach the Bible. Um, this is something that is very quickly being done away with. Uh, We don't know how many more years we'll be able to go into the schools, but man, those kids, there's nothing more cool than telling the story of Joseph, and when you tell them that Joseph's brothers chucked him in the well, you're just like, what? (laughs) Why would they do that? That story, I've heard that story since I was born. It's not shocking to me anymore, but if you tell it to like an eight-year-old who has never heard that, who doesn't know how it ends, just imagine like just the wonder and the shock that comes from that. And then the end of the story where Joseph is able to forgive his brothers, 
to an Australian, there's not a lot of grace and forgiveness in Australian culture. So that's really impactful. So that's been probably the main joy that I've had since I've been in Australia, is just to get to teach children who have never heard. They live in an English-speaking country, and they have never heard these stories in the Bible. But we get to go in and tell them during their school day what an amazing opportunity that we have to do that. And so it's been really fun to be able to do that. Um, and then our last one is Quest Camp. In Australia, sadly, we don't have CIY. We don't have all the cool things that you guys get to do. But one thing that we can do for our kids is have camp. I love camp. I grew up going to camp every summer. I actually just spent six weeks at camp this past summer, and it was a lot of fun. Um, and our Quest Camp, we call it Quest Camp because we're all on a quest. It doesn't matter if you're five. It doesn't matter if you're 55, 85. All of us are on a quest to grow closer to God. And so... At camp, it's just that time to get away from everything, all of the noise, and just focus in on God. This year, their theme was fearless, and we went from having about struggling to get 40 campers and 40 adults last year to having 55 people come this year. And so that's growing. Some of the parents came that are not even Christians. They came because they knew that we needed help in the kitchen or we needed help with this or that. So it just goes back to that community. If Australians see that strong community that you have, they're willing to be a part of it even before they're willing to accept the truth about Jesus. So that's really something that we try to build on. Um, all right, let's look at the next one. All right, I want to tell you one story. I know I have five minutes, but um, I might be a Reynolds because I go over time. But, um, so <laughs> I just wanted to tell you this story that happened in this last year. This is the Tabas family. Um, they, their families immigrated from the Philippines um, probably in the 80s. They've been there a long time. They're pretty much Australians at this point, but um, they both came from non-Christian families. Um, so Janice, the wife, her, her family became, a Christ, became Christians fairly quickly. Um, Chris, the husband, his family, he is the only Christian in his family. Um, and his family, his dad is... If we want to put it in plain terms, his dad was a jerk. <laughs> his dad was not good to his mom. His dad was not good to his children. Um, but Chris, as a Christian, just prayed and prayed that he could have a good relationship with his dad so he could share with his dad the love of God because they understand, man, we need our families to know who Jesus is. So the whole family was praying for Chris's dad especially. And Chris's dad's name is Albert. Well, about a year ago, Albert became very ill. He had... Um, heart failure, he was in a coma. The doctor said, there's no way he's going to wake up. We, there's a very, very small percentage that he will wake up from this. So Chris, of course, is devastated because his dad doesn't know Jesus yet. So he has everybody praying. Everybody starts praying for Albert that he will have one more chance to hear about God. So Albert has surgery, and the doctors again say, we don't think that he's going to wake up from this. Um, but Albert has the surgery. It goes well, and a few days later, he does wake up. And the first thing out of his mouth is, Chris, I'm sorry for the way that I treated your mom and the way that I treated you. Which I think if you had been in that family, that in itself felt like a miracle. <laughs> and I think it was a miracle. Because I think God was working on Albert even when we all, we could do, all we could do is pray. But that's the very thing that we should be doing. And then the next thing he says is, Chris, I want to become a follower of Jesus. And so when Albert recovered... A few weeks later, you want to show the next slide? In somebody's backyard pool, Albert was actually um, baptized into Christ. And so 
Man, Australia is a tough, tough country. It's a dry, spiritual country. But when God moves, he moves strong and he moves powerful. And so we are so, just so thrilled that we can be a part of that. It's tough. It's a tough slog to get to people, get to the point where you can talk to people about Jesus. But if we invest the time and if we invest that love into their lives, God is going to move because God's spirit is always at work in his people. Um, And we know that there's nothing that is so dead that God can't bring it back to life. So um, I want to thank you guys for letting me be part of your offering next week. Um, Just to let you know what that money is going towards. Um, In Australia, housing is very expensive. And that's part of the reason why I'm still here in America. I'm still raising support to try to cover my housing costs to go back to Australia. And so the money that you guys give um, next week, or in a couple weeks, will go towards um, helping me cover that. So again, our houses are used for so many things to build that community. And so um, when you guys maybe see pictures of that house on Facebook or of my apartment, you can know that you had a part in helping us build that community in Australia. Now, um, I have um, on my water bottle here, I have um, some new stickers of the picture of me riding the kangaroo. So if you guys uh, would like some, would like one of those for your water bottle or your laptop, um, catch me out in the lobby after service and I would be happy to to give you one of those. So thank you so much. Um, Thank you for letting me be part of your community for the last year. Um, Thank you for all that you do here in Eldon. So thank you. Jen, I'd just like for us to take a moment and uh, just ask God's blessing on that and what God will do with that and uh, just uh, pray for that work in Australia. So if you would join me, please. Our God and our Father, we thank you for, uh, for who you are and for what you do. Um, um, we love Jesus and uh, any way and anywhere that we can be a part of helping him to become known by more people is, is our joy. And so uh, thank you for the chance to, uh, to be uh, a partner in Australia. And uh, um, we just pray, God, that uh, everything that's given and everything that's done and would be done and, um, and just obedience to you and that um, you would uh, open doors, open the hearts of people to hear and uh, open the, uh, the mouths of, uh, and the lives of, of Christians to be able to live and to speak wisely and and to make the most of their opportunities. And so we pray, God, that you would bless and, and use that and pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, um, if you have a Bible today, I want to invite you to open to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to read through a rather long passage of Scripture, but we're going to do that quickly. And so uh, as we walk through this, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 21, um, I, I want us to think today about uh, the key word of imitation. Um, when I, uh, I, well, there was a funeral visitation here, uh, and funeral and visitation that took place this week that I attended and, and I, I met someone that uh, I knew who they were, but they looked at me with that look like, I know who you are, but I don't know your name look. And, uh, and they looked at me and, and they, they said this, I don't know your name, but I know who you are because you look like your dad. And, uh, I thought, I, I, 20 years ago, I would have been mildly offended by that um, as my son when they say, you look like your dad. He just, that's the worst thing in the world to tell a 13, 13, 14 year old kid. Um, But the older I get, the more I appreciate that. Um, 
And uh, I think there is something in us that um, it's a good thing when your dad is a good man and people compare you to him, that that is a compliment. And, uh, and so that thinking is what I want us to think about today as we read through this passage and, and just draw out some things. I love what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. He says this, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. Just pause on that. And just think, uh, oftentimes when we come to these sections of, of Ephesians where in chapter 4 and into chapter 5 where Paul lists all of these ethical, all of these moral things, all these things to do, taking off old habits and putting on new habits, so often we can allow them to become just, uh, just religious duties. I just do it because it just, that's what the Bible says to do. Um, and I forget the bigger motivations. Uh, chapter 4 certainly had many of those motivations um, tied to them. But I love how t- chapter 5 just reminds us that, that whatever Paul is going to ask us to do next and to be next is all based out of a desire to be like our Father. And for a Christian, what higher honor could there be than to have someone look at your life and say, I see your Father in you. Because your father is not distant, uh, as Albert was, as Jennifer was talking about that father. This is not that kind of father. Listen as Paul goes on to talk about the kind of father that, that Paul is calling us to imitate. He loves you, first of all, as beloved children. And you are not a beloved child because you were perfect when he met you and adopted you. You are not a beloved child because you have your act all together and you're perfect in his sight. Uh, in, in, in your life, um, you are a beloved child because he sees you through the eyes of love, through all of your imperfections, through all of your failures, through all of the mess that oftentimes encompasses our life. Paul reminds us that as God is doing this new work in us through Christ in our life, that he calls us to be imitators of God because we are beloved children. And so you are not imitating God to try to earn love or try to earn something that, that you only get because you're good enough. He's already given you his love. And so he calls us to imitate God because you are a beloved child. But it's not that. He says, imitate God in walking in love. Because as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. God's love is so other-oriented. And so as we begin to walk through this passage and we think about the things that God is, that God calls us to imitate, and as we walk through this rest of this passage, I I just would like for you to think with me about um, what is it about God that I'm supposed to imitate? And and Paul lays the kind of the foundation first. Whatever I'm gonna ask you to do, do it from the perspective and the example of your father in heaven who, who is always looking to put you ahead of his own interests. Christ had so many things he could have grasped, as Philippians 2 talks about. But he gave those things up so that he might bless and he might help and he might love others and that you and I might have life in his name because of that other-oriented kind of love by which he loves us with. And so there are three things as you continue to read to this passage that I just would like for you to think with me about and just to make a goal for you um, And again, there's probably 15 sermons in this passage, um, and so we'll go quickly through them. But the first thing I would just just draw you to is what we just talked about. I think Paul would have you to imitate your father who is selfless, who is full of love. That he would have you to imitate your father who is selfless. 
And as you go out into the world, and as Paul begins to talk about the things that, that he talks about, he, he goes in a direction that maybe would not necessarily connect with, with self, selfless love, but I think it is exactly this issue, these issues that he rises, raises next that, that have everything to do with a selfish love that he's going to contrast to what the Ephesians knew. The Ephesians grew up in a, in a city that was full of selfishness. And, and you approach the issues we're going to look at and read about here simply from the perspective of what's going to please me, what makes me feel good, what can I gain for myself, versus he calls us to imitate our Father who is selfless in his love. And so listen to verses 3 and 4. He says, But among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Just think about those phrases. Go back to verse 3, if you would. Just think about those phrases, and, and what do those have to do with a selfless love? We live in a culture that has, beginning in the 60s, has just thrown off all the restraints and the whole sexual revolution that said, we're going to cast off all of the old ways, all the old rules, all the old ways of looking at things. And the promise of that movement was freedom, of happiness, that you could do whatever you wanted. But we live some 50 years later, and we, li- we reap the fruit of that, and it has not been happiness, it has not been freedom, it has not been uh, personal fulfillment. In fact, what the problem has been is that sex and, and greed and money has just been, has filled our lives, has filled our wor- world with, with selfishness. Instead of seeking to use sex and, and money and, and things like that as, as gifts from God to bless the world, they have become instruments by which I only satisfy myself. And that never leads to people being built up and loved and cared for. It always leads to people being hurt. And so we live in a decade where we've seen the Me Too movements, and, and unfortunately now there's the Church Too movement as, as church leader after church leader seems as if they have caught up in, in taking advantage of others, whether sexually or through greed, um, for, selfish, for selfish gain, for selfish ends. And so Paul's invitation for us to imitate our Father who is selfless in his love um, is not ancient and outdated it is a path for us to live out that says, oh, would I take these beautiful things, the resources of the world, uh, sex, and, it, and all of its power, that it could be used not for selfishness, not that I would take advantage of someone else, and whether through sex and, and, or through greed, that I would not take advantage of others, but I would be selfless like my father who chooses to give of himself instead of take for himself. And so Paul goes on in verse 4 to add things, not only through your life, through how you approach sexuality or how you approach money, but he goes on to talk about your words. He says, there, nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather replace them with thanksgiving. And that's a weird verse to me, um, be, because I think, why did he insert with thanksgiving? Why is thanksgiving at the end of that? Um, there should be no obscenity. Those are foolish talk, coarse joking. Those are, those are things that are pretty common in our world again today, right? But they're not common to this age. There's always been the temptation to allow our mouths to, to tear down, to denigrate, to, to, uh, to, uh, to ruin that which is good in this world. And so as Paul calls us to, to imitate a father with his selfless love, even through the words that we speak, 
I shared in my Sunday school class this morning that when I think of this phrase, um, but rather thanksgiving, um, I, I think of a friend I knew in Illinois named Wayne Humphrey. And Wayne is, is a good man uh, in so many ways. But the thing that reminded me of him in this verse was that anytime I would start to complain or if we were in a group of people and someone would begin to run someone down with words like these, Wayne would always be the one. He wouldn't do it in a, in a judgmental way. He wouldn't do it to, uh, to, to make himself look good, but he would just inject into the conversation some level of, of praise, some good thing. He would direct the conversation towards thanksgiving. And I always wondered when I was younger, why does Wayne do that? And then I began to study this verse this week and his name and his face popped into my head and I thought, that's exactly why Wayne does that. Because his, he wants his mouth, not only with how he lives the rest of his life in, in, in verse three, lives those in purity and generosity, but in verse four, he, he simply lives out with his mouth. I would never want to use this instrument that God has given me for obscenity or foolish talk or coarse joking, but rather with something that's praiseworthy, that's building other people up, that gives honor to God through his mouth. His life wasn't always like that, but when Jesus got a hold of him, that was the change as God was working. And I wonder why did Wayne do that? It's because he wants to imitate his father who was selfless in his love. And so Paul invites us to, to imitate your father who is selfless through, through all of those things, through our approach towards sexuality and towards money and greed uh, with our mouth. And, and he calls us to do those things. He goes on in verse five and following, if you'll skip down a couple of slides there. Um, in verse five, it says, for this you can be sure. And he warns us, this isn't just a nice suggestion, that God takes this very seriously. He wants us to be like him and not like the world. To be sure of this, that no immoral or impure or greedy person such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of God, of Christ and of God. And in verse six, he goes on to say, but let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of such thing, things, God's wrath comes to those who are disobedient. And so he warns us and he calls us to this life of imitating our father who his selfless love stands in contrast to the world in which Paul lived and the world in which we live and so Paul is inviting us, as he did the people of that day, to be imitators of this God who loves with a selfless love, uh, to be like that. But there's a second thing as you keep reading in this passage that, that we are called to imitate, number two, your father who is sanctified or who is holy. To follow and to imitate your, God, your father who is sanctified, who is holy. So we are to imitate him in his love, but we are also to imitate him in his holiness as you keep reading in this passage and what this passage does is it raises that tension that we all feel, right? This is nice to say up here, but, but you're going to leave here and, and you're going to go to work tomorrow um, and you're going to be at the break room and, and the coarse joking is going to start and the, the negative talk, the obscene things are going to start and, and, and all the things of just living in this world are coming your way. And it's fine, it's easy for you to say, oh, preacher, you work in an office where um, Loretta's a little foul mouth sometimes, but she's a pretty decent person. And so, I'm kidding, Loretta. So anyway, but uh, as long as I get my newsletter on time, she doesn't cuss at me too bad. And so it's, um, but, uh, and so it's, uh, it's easy for you to say that, preacher. You don't, work where, you don't work where I work, you don't live where I live. And so I appreciate this passage because I think what Paul goes to next is he kind of helps us to navigate this tension of, okay, if I'm going to really follow Christ and really, really follow him, that means I'm going to be doing this in places and in times and situations where it, it feels a little out of place. 
Um, and so we have to ask the question, well, if I'm going to do this, do I just leave the world completely? Do I completely separate myself or, or do I just go full-fledged into the world and be like them? How do I navigate this tension? Just let me read a passage from John chapter 17, verse 15, where Jesus would pray this for you. My prayer is not that you would take them, all of his disciples, all those who would follow him, out of the world, but that you would protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. And so sanctify them, make them holy, set them apart by the truth. And your word is truth. As, I, as you have sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. And so Jesus kind of navigates this balance both through his life as he points us to his own life as an example, but also through his prayers for us. And so now listen to what Paul says in verses seven and following. It says, therefore, because of all the things that this world is, immoral um, and, and greedy and, and, and blasphemous with mouths, and therefore do not be partakers, partners with them. For you were once darkness, and he reminds us again of the change in our life, but now you are light in the Lord. All right, that change from, from lost to saved. Live as children of light, for the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, and find out what pleases the Lord. He goes on in verse 11, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. That, this is why it is said, wake up, sleeper. And so if you're nudging your neighbor and quote that verse to them, wake up, sleeper, okay? Uh, rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Just a couple of things I would have you to see there. Note that he highlights that you used to be darkness. Before Christ, you were in darkness, right? Um, most of you have experienced the cave. You've gone whether it's local or far away on vacation. That time in a cave tour that they all do where they turn the lights off. And there's that experience of darkness that is unlike most darkness that you and I feel and see. And that's very much the spiritual darkness that Paul highlights here. The Bible talks about spiritual darkness as, as, as lives and hearts and minds that don't see God's glory or truth, that don't see a need for a savior, that don't understand God's holiness and justice, that we just live for ourselves and for our pleasures. But then God opens our eyes through the conviction of the Holy Spirit and the truth of his word as it begins to break through the hardness of heart. And, and that spiritual sight, that light that comes into our life is that we see our true condition as guilty sinners. And we see the sufficiency of Christ and, and how his death can, can cover over our sins. And we have this new desire to know God and to obey him and to follow him. And, and that we hate the sin that we used to live in and, and be comfortable with, that our lives move away from that. And we long to be like our Father. We long to be like our Savior. And so I, I just love that phrase. If you put verse 7 back up there on the screen for me, if you go to the next slide, actually, I think it'll show it. Um, just, I love the fruit of this, that live as children of light. And then he talks about what the fruit of the light consists of. Just those three or four things. There's goodness, Right? You know you're growing in the light when goodness is growing in your life. It's that trait of God that, that is just, uh, you just do good. Whenever you're in a situation, you're doing good to people for their good. Again, going back to that love point, there's righteousness, a pursuit, and a, and a desire to, to be right with God and to live right for God. And this desire for truth and that we will speak the truth, we will live the truth, we will, we will seek the truth. And then finally, he finishes it with this whole little beautiful statement that we will learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Just what a great life principle that is. In every situation that you find yourself, what's going to please the Lord in this moment? What's going to please the Lord in this moment of, of, of decision? 
And sometimes the Bible doesn't speak into specific things about your life and about your daily decisions, but that principle will guide you in a lot of ways. What pleases the Lord in this moment? Whether I say this, I don't say this, whether I do this, don't do that, what is it that pleases the Lord in this moment? And allow that to be a guide for you. And finally, number three, we'll go to the last one. Skip, slap, die in a couple there. Number three, I want you to imitate your father who is sensible or who is wise. Imitate your father who is sensible or who is wise. Paul goes on in verse 15 to talk about the wisdom of God. Again, see how this all this plays out, right? He, he talks about this love that we should live and we live, live in a, a world that's not like that. And, and then we try to navigate the, the tension between well, how do I be in the world but not of the world? And, and we walk with that simple principle of, of I'm gonna seek to do what pleases God. And then finally he comes and, and this wisdom, I think, is the overflow of that. As you're seeking to know, well, what is it that pleases the Lord in this moment? The word of God, the, the guidance of God is what wisdom is all about, the ability to apply those truths in so many different situations. And Paul finishes with this. Be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. And so he reminds us, if you go on and we'll finish the context here and come back to it. It says, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit or with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so what does it mean to make the most how do we walk wisely? I think to walk wisely, that little phrase, to walk carefully or to be careful how you live, it's that old picture of if, you, if you're, if you're um, playing or walking through a minefield, right, and you know where the mines are, it means you just don't run through there casually. You walk carefully with each step and you're measured and you're thoughtful. And so what does that look like from this passage? It means that we use our time wisely. Um, the, the emphasis there is, hey, every day matters and that moments matter. And so use your time wisely. Uh, number two is, is to understand the will of the Lord and seeking daily to, to know that and to learn that. That we must be filled with the Spirit in verses 18 through 21. And that there's a lot of things that, that he uses the example of wine or other uh, things that would... Uh, um, Allow you, would influence your behavior, would influence your life, right? If you were to be drunk on wine versus filled with the Spirit, it's about influence and control and, and who has control over your mind, of your thoughts, and of your life. And so he encourages us to daily to, to seek to be controlled by his Spirit in our life. And again, that's that simple thing. It, it, it's daily saying, okay, God, here I am. How today... Can I allow you to control my life through your word and through your spirit so that I might love people? Whether it's in the arena of the words that I speak or how I deal with the resources you've given me or, or, or in sexual things, how do, I, how do I approach this from a perspective of love? And then, God, even as I, I deal with my life and, and as coworkers and, and people I see on the street and those, those, those people that maybe they don't know you, how do I navigate that tension Ah, Lord, lead me to the right things to say. Lead me to do the right things and to be right and to maintain that, that Christian witness and that you would govern my, control me and govern me uh, through all of those things. And so there's much in this passage, but I would simply invite you today to stop and to think about who are you imitating? If people were to walk up to you and just watch your life for a while and be able to say, you know what, I... I, I see that you're imitating someone. Whose name would they put in, in the blank? Would they see that your life is a growing 
uh, imitation of your heavenly Father who loves you and has given you everything in, in salvation and life? Or would they see your life as one that you're imitating the world around you? That's a tension that we all must wrestle with. And so my prayer for us today is that we would be imitators of our heavenly Father. So would you pray with me, please, so we finish. God and Father, we thank you. We are thankful that in Christ that we are beloved children. We're not worthy of that title, but boy, it sure changes our hearts when we believe it and we trust in it and we live from that place, that we are loved, that we have been died for, that we have been sacrificed for, and that we are beloved children. And so, Father, as beloved children, we go into a world that is oftentimes hostile and to, to, to faith. It's hostile towards the Heavenly Father, both intentionally or just sometimes very passively, but, but it's still hostility. And it's hard for us to live out being children of light in a world that oftentimes is so dark. And so, Lord, today we come and we ask for your leading and your help. We ask that you would just navigate in us, through us, and with us so that the world would see our Father in our lives. Forgive us, Father, for the times that we are faithless and that we are afraid um, to be different from the world around us. Um, that pull is strong. So, Father, we pray for your spirit to, to bring the courage, to bring the wisdom, to bring the scriptures to our mind that would just help us to know and to, to navigate through the days that we would make the most of. And so, Lord, guide us and help us today. Um, and we thank you. We thank you for being such a great father, worthy of our imitation. And we pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Well, we're going to stand and we're going to sing how worthy he is of all that, uh, that we could give to him today. So sing to him as a father who is worthy of your respect and your love today. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. Worthy of every breath we could ever bring, we live for you. Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever save. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe, we live for you, we live for you. Holy, there is no one like you, there is none besides you. Open up my eyes in wonder and show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around me holy there is no one like you there is none besides you open up my eyes and wonder and show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around me.
at you Open up my eyes and wonder and show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me and your love to those around me. Holy, there is no one like you, there is none besides you. Open up my eyes and wonder and show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me and your love to those around me. Amen. Well, we are thankful that you were here today. Um, we want to invite you to the Family Life Center where the high schoolers have been making a breakfast for you as part of their CIY fundraisers. And so we invite you to come and, and join in that and enjoy some time of fellowship together. I would remind you the next Sunday night is our Thanksgiving uh, church dinner uh, at 6 o'clock next Sunday evening. We're still looking for a couple people that would be willing to cook a turkey uh, for us. And so if you would like to do that, just let us know that and uh, we'll get a, a bird on the way to you. So, okay. And so uh, let's pray together and uh, we'll get you out here today. Lord, thank you. Thank you for being worthy. Worthy of maybe the, the, the sacrifice it feels like right now. Worthy of, um, of all that we could give, all that we could say, all that we could do. Um, just thankful for um, you being a God that no matter where we find ourselves, uh, you are worthy. And so lead us, help us. Um, to always see that and to fix our eyes upon that. And so we love you. Thank you for the chance to gather here today. And we love you and pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.